Welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. Don't stand so close to me. If you hear a police song now in your inner ear, then you will probably uh, be of, of my age. And if you're younger, check it out. Uh, it's, a, it's a very nice song. But I will not talk about music and I will not talk about the band called The Police and not about this particular song. I will talk about the closeness and the distance in the relationship between humans and technology. In the relationship with other humans, we have a constant adjustment of closeness and distance. In some situations, we are closer to others. In others, uh, other situations, we prefer to have a larger distance to other people and With uh, the corona pandemic, um, we learned in the past year and a half that distancing, social distance has a certain advantage, but also we experience the pain that is connected to that, not hugging other people, uh, not, not being closer to other people, not being in concerts and clubs and, and being close to others. So it seems like a certain amount of closeness is um, necessary for humans, is uh, important for humans. The closeness dominates, clearly dominates in interpersonal interactions. The question arises as what this close distance relationships between humans and technology looks like. So, Can we mirror the experiences that we have uh, in human-to-human -human interaction to human-technology interaction? In this podcast episode, I'd like to discuss this topic and I will use three technologies. Mm, they are applied mostly in automotive contexts, but, but also in others. And two of them create a closeness between humans and technology and one creates more like a distance between humans and technology. There is a certain skepticism about technology. It comes and goes and waves. For example, we had uh, in, the, in the early th 20th century... Um, The, the cars uh, were, were pretty new and, and um, they were seen extremely critical. They were noisy, they were dirty, 
they were experienced as very dangerous and so there was for example in england uh, a law that uh, required a person with a red flag walking in front of every car driving which makes it totally ridiculous because i mean then you can walk or take a horse or whatever but that was um, ju just an example to show how, how technologies that we see as totally normal, that we totally accepted uh, in our lives over the years, um, that they were seen extremely skeptical uh, in, in other times. Uh, then we, another example is, is the nuclear power in the 1970s, 80s. And that uh, was seen as, as a great savior of, of uh, energy uh, production, but also seen very critical due to the connected dangers. And um, it's almost gone, at least in, in Central Europe and uh, Germany. But uh, some of the um, climate experts want uh, the return of the nuclear power to reduce the, the carbon dioxide footprint. And so it goes up and down, but uh, the, the general trend the, is totally clear. We are having more and more technologies in our lives, in our environment, in our workspaces, in our private spaces, in our pockets, everywhere. So although we have waves of skepticism towards technology in general or specific technologies, the trend is clear that we have more technology in our life for a long time it was unimaginable that intimacy meaning very close proximity very um yeah very close closeness intimacy um that that could be created through technology by using technology and by means of technology the sociologist Alex Lambert, um, since we talked about music earlier, this is not the country musician uh, Alex Lambert. It's a uh, scientist called Alex Lambert. He speaks of social media intimacy, meaning the closeness that is established through social media by using social media and with that through technology. And he's talking again about an intimacy between humans, where the technology is working as a moderator, as a bridge. And in doing so, uh, he postulates the end of the prosthetic nature of technology. Few more words about this. Um, Sigmund Freud, the German psychoanalyst, stated in 1930 that uh, technology or that, that we as humans create a godlikeness by using technological prosthetics. And this, that, that, that we are not really firm with them, that we are not really good with them, that we are not, we're really, that we are not really okay with these prosthetics. And uh, so he states that uh, um, there will be more of that in the future, but uh, it will be a cause of problems. It will solve problems, but it would also be a, a cause, a reason of problems. And I'm using um, this uh, citation. 
this, uh, this quote in my keynotes uh, because it shows very well uh, why we have problems with technology, why we have problems with HMIs, with user experience, why this entire thing, the, the communication, the interaction between humans and technology is a problem at all. And uh, Alex Lemmert, the sociologist, um, sees the end of this uh, through social media, through creating intimacy with WhatsApp, with uh, Facebook, with messengers, with whatever we use as, 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 uh, for, for modern means of communication. The user experience of closeness versus distance relates to pleasant versus unpleasant. One is not equal with the others. It's more like two independent uh, dimensions. So uh, technology may be very close to us and pleasant or unpleasant, or it may be very distant to us and for that reason pleasant or unpleasant. And so, opposed to uh, Alex Lambert and, and, and Sigmund Freud, I would like to discuss about the closeness and the distance and the relationship between humans and technology. And not the closeness and distance of the technology-determined relationship between two humans. So, a little different view, but uh, it remains on how distant is a technology to us as humans. We have various user experiences in uh, human technology and driver-vehicle interaction, and proximity is one of that. So how close is one uh, technology? How, how much are we merged with the technology? But also, um, are there any blind spots that we may not see due to the merging, to, to, to the closeness of that? And in general, the technology is getting closer and closer to us. If you have a look in, in, back in history, in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, until the mid-70s, the computers were hidden somewhere in dark basements and... Um, Only experts um, that were hardly accessible um, could operate them. So they were far away technology and an only expert had in general access to it. And so at the end of a day, we were having a um, yeah, very, very distant technology. Then in uh, the early 80s, uh, the PC, the personal computer came up. Uh, so technology, computing power moved to our desk. It came closer to us in the 19s uh, 90s 1990s it became mobile so we had a laptops that we could carry around with us with uh, the smartphones um, in 2007 the first iphone came out so the computing power technology moved into our pockets so we had it ready to be carried around everywhere and and so we had it in our pockets Today, we see many technologies that move to the surface um, of our bodies. One, uh, the very obvious one that we see is the smartwatch. So we have a constant contact between our skins and this technology 
There's also um, contact lenses um, that you wear to that measure you, the the amount of sugar that you have in your tears in your tear liquid, which correlates with the blood sugar. So for diabetics, this is a very good way to, to have a constant surveillance of their blood sugar. Uh, we have uh, printable electronics that can be sticked to our gin uh, to our skins. So. Yeah, we, we, we have this technology moving on the surface of our bodies. And the next step then will be that uh, technology, electronics, will move into our bodies. We have this already, for example, pacemakers uh, for, for heart muscles. Um, or we may have uh, artificial uh, insulin pumps um, that we carry around with us, either on or in the body. So there are various technologies, but that is only a very beginning. The final vision is, whether we like it or not, that uh, we will be cyborgs one day, meaning that essential parts of our body, of our biological bodies, will be supplemented, uh, will be supported, will be replaced by technological devices. But uh, I don't want to go that far here. I have um, selected three existing technologies and um, want to use it to discuss this closeness, uh, proximity, distance uh, effects that, that we have here. And all three technologies are a bit beyond the classic HMI that we have. But all of them are relevant for the user experience that you have. And as I said, uh, most of them are implemented in cars and vehicles. There may be applications outside vehicles, but I will, I will discuss this under the, the, the vehicle aspect here. So two of them, um, the first two ones I will discuss have uh, the experience of closeness, of proximity, and the others... The other, the third one, has the experience of distance. Let's start with the first one. That is biometric measurement, biometrics in the human-vehicle interaction. And under biometrics, I summarize technologies like fingerprint, face recognition, iris recognition, or, um, as I read about it for the first time while I was doing the, the researches for this uh, podcast episode, the measurement of uh, muscle microvibrations that we have. And it seems like they're highly individual, like a fingerprint, like an, an iris, uh, um, iris shape. Um, so th this might be another, another way of, of um, yeah, having an individualized um, recognition. They are used often, not today, but in, in concepts and in thoughts and in, in uh, ideas and show cars very often to get into the vehicle, to, to, to gain vehicle access. So the number of vehicles that can be opened without a key is constantly increasing. And a few days ago, I saw... A lady struggling with her car, a very old car, and, and she was trying to lock it with a mechanical key. I mean, putting a key into a keyhole in a car door and trying to lock that car that way. 
That was something that I had not seen for ages before. It feels like ages. And uh, because most of us use uh, these keys with a remote um, access, so you press a button, the car opens, and then you can get into the car and you can open the trunk and whatever you want to do when you access a car. So so, so these keys, um, whether they are mechanical or whether they are remote, are one way today that, that we access a vehicle. Another one are so-called tokens. Those are devices that you carry around with you that identify yourself towards the car and that unlocks the car. For example, if you touch the door handle or if you uh, touch any other part of, of the car. So my Harley-Davidson motorbike, which is a 2016 Road King, um, has one of these tokens. Um, it is a round device, about one inch diameter, um, about um, six, seven millimeters thick. And I just need to have it in my pockets. And when I go to my bike and I turn the central knob, then um, the bike is ready to be to be started with a with a with a start button. But you do not need to take it out. You do not even need to handle it. You just need to have it with you. Some applications talk about smartphones um, having exactly the same role as this token. You just need to have it with you. You do not need to find it. You do not need to take it out. You do not need any kind of interaction with it. You just need to have it with you. And um, another way of vehicle access is biometrics. The Korean car OEM Hyundai has two vehicles on the market in China that can be opened with a fingerprint. So the technology is there. It uh, is more or less serious ready. And um, you can, you can uh, use that. Porsche is experimenting with face recognition. But there will be a second method of identification, either a token or a smartphone. Problem with face recognition is it can be cheated, it can be fooled uh, with photos. So the next step will be a 3D face recognition, which is much harder to, to, be, to be fooled or to be cheated. And uh, Apple has applied for a patent that uses a two-factor identification, face ID and smartphone, to open a car. So it seems like they want to apply that when, if, uh, one day they should have a car on the market. The big advantage of uh, biometrics is you always have it with you. It is with you anyway. When where you are, your face is, your iris is, your your fingerprints are. There is never an empty battery, and it is very individual. Even identical twins have different fingerprints, have different iris uh, patterns. So yeah, there there is a um, it's, it's highly individual. There are a few disadvantages though. Uh, there are recognition problems. Uh, every now and then, um, when I travel to China or to, to the US, then my fingerprints are taken, so they are recorded on my passport, and um, then you have to press either one finger or five fingers or all ten fingers onto a, a sensor, 
And uh, that takes quite some time until these machines um, are convinced that I am me and that these are my fingerprints. And then you have to replace them. You have to do it over and over again. And so there is a recognition problem with uh, fingerprints. The environment around cars may not be controllable. So there may be snow, rain, um, and sometimes the, the copier making is, is, is easy, pretty easy. So, um, yeah, with the recognition, there's problems and uh, with, with the environmental factors. And if you have a facial recognition and um, you wear a face mask as of today, or if it is cold, you have a scarf around your face, you have to remove it. Uh, maybe you wear glasses or not. And, and I mean, all those are problems um, that, that are connected to the different kinds of biometric uh, access technologies. By the way, the uh, system of UNI uses capacitive detection uh, for the fingerprints, not an optical. Uh, that makes it harder to hack it and it uh, has a better detection rate. So maybe the capacitive detection opposed to the optical de uh, detection, which is uh, the, the standard today, may be a step forward. So we discussed the vehicle access with the biometric data. There's also other um, uh, parameters that we can control in a car. It is very often used for the individualization of, of the vehicle. For example, setting the air condition, setting the radio, making the right seat adjustments. Whatever you do, if you know, all right, Peter is entering, uh, entering this car and not his wife is entering the car because my wife has different tastes, uh, totally different body measures. So um, she needs a different adjustment of, of, of the car for herself. What is also, and this will be in the next part, uh, or, uh, I will have a closer look of, uh, at this one, but it's about wellness, tiredness, state of health, dangerous situations. So for example, you can adapt the car to the driver's condition saying, okay, this, this driver is uh, pretty tired or this, tire, this person is having a serious health problem. So you can use the heart rate, for example, for that. Or even to set alarms and say, hey, you should stop right now and either have a break or call an ambulance because there's a serious problem. Whatever you may think about this one. You use your own body. So it's a provision of one's only body to steer technology, to open a car, to tune it, to set it up. And it is specific to your personal body. And the individual characteristics of, of parts uh, of, of yourself are used to make technology, technology accessible and to, to fine-tune it to your requirements and it's not some neutral electronic part but and this makes the closeness of the biometric technology um, that you use parts of your body to to steer technology okay second technology which is also about closeness that is driver monitoring we are having various technologies that monitor the interior, 
that, uh, for example, monitor the driver's uh, position in a car, um, how is he or she sitting in the car. There is um, um, yeah, a constant monitoring, a surveillance of the driver while driving. The technologies used are either radar or cameras or infrared cameras, um, there may be a few more, but those are the ones I'm aware of. And um, they, they are used in, in sometimes in combination, sometimes as a single technology. But radar cameras, infrared, that, that's roughly the, 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 the technologies that we have there. And they are measuring the body position. Is somebody sitting upright in the car? Is he sunk down? Is some, someone at all in the driver's seat? Um, it can also measure the hat position. So is the hat in, in a correct position? Is it falling to the side? Is it falling to the front or the back? So um, yeah, is the entire body in, in the correct position to perform the driving test? You can measure the direction of view, the eye movements. So where is a, a person, where is a driver looking at? Is he or she having her eyes on the road or on relevant parts of the instrument cluster? Or is he or she looking outside the side window or at a smartphone? So I have seen uh, devices uh, at, at uh, 2020 CES. They were pretty good in that in detecting where are people looking at. Another measurement that is used is the pupil diameter or the pupil movements that you have. That is something I could talk about another three hours because I wrote my doctoral thesis about exactly that, measuring driver condition with the pupil diameter and pupil movements. But uh, I won't get any deeper into this right now, but this is a parameter and uh, during my time at a big German automotive OEM, we did quite some research on this one and trying to, to implement this into fatigue warners that uh, will warn people when they get tired while driving. All these technologies can derive mental and cognitive demands, can uh, derive mental and cognitive states of drivers. A lot of that is connected to artificial intelligence, learning about if somebody is looking like this or sitting like this, uh, that or having eye movements like uh, this, then he is nervous, he is tired, he is whatever. But there's also an emotional recognition, particularly through face recognition. Uh, is this person positive? Is this person aggressive? Is this person uh, suck? So... All this is uh, possible by measuring the or surveilling the driver with driver surveillance technologies. They are on the market. Uh, I was surprised to, to read while I was uh, preparing this, this podcast episode that Lexus implemented the first driver monitoring system in 2006. Uh, it was first of all about alertness and, and fatigue. And this is still the main use case of it. Uh, warning the driver, um, control of activation and attention. Um, when you get tired, when you get uh, distracted, when you have uh, 
problems keeping your attention alive. Big question with all these technologies is what do you do with the information that you gain? So do we need uh, to break the car? Do we need to set alarms? How can these alarms look like? Um, so this is not really clear. And I discussed this 20 years ago when, when I was at the big car OEM and we did all this, this basic research and um, we were asking ourselves, okay, if we know that somebody is already very tired or will fall asleep in, in, in a few minutes or seconds, what do we do in that situation? And today you get an alarm, you, you get maybe rattled at your seatbelt, which is something a French car company is, is testing. Um, so you have various interventions that are possible. question remains, what is the, the, the optimal thing that you do? One future application of driver monitoring is in automated driving. So on level two, uh, which means that the car is driving mostly or at least in certain situations by itself, but the driver is in the control loop. You can control the driver if he or she is still in the control loop. We read about all these different accidents with, with different um, cars of an American electric car maker. And uh, some rumors say, okay, there was not even a driver in the driver's seat or the driver was sleeping or whatever. When all these uh, deadly accidents happened, these fatal accidents happened. But um, this wouldn't have happened if you have a driver monitoring system and either alarming the driver or stopping the car. So if we have these this level two functionalities and more and more automated cars, then uh, we will also have the need for driver interior monitoring systems. On level three and four, the driver is allowed to pull him or herself out of the loop or out of the, the drivers, uh, the driving the control loop, but needs to be ready to take over in certain situations. And this willingness, the readiness to take over the driving task can also be detected with a driver monitoring system. These systems will be mandatory in new vehicles uh, from next year on, uh, at least in, in Europe. Um, I'm not really sure about the rest of the world, but this will come and this will be standard in a, in a few years from now. We have a very close closeness, a very close proximity of technology to humans. Your body, yourself, your being, your behavior uh, are, are measured inside the car. It's analyzed and it leads to changes to activities. It leads to certain behavior of the technology. So... It's a very close thing. You, you, you put yourself into a certain situation. You're measured. You're surveilled uh, in that. And then at the end of the day, um, you are changing parameters of, of, of the car with that. All right. Let's move on to technology number three, which is not about closeness between humans and technology, but about getting more distance. And this technology is more just like a framework. It's a, it's a, I don't want to call it a buzzword, but it's a container word um, that is used. And it's called shy tech. So shy tech means technology that is shy. 
uh, technology that hides itself um, but makes itself invisible when it is not in use. Some examples are already widely used today. For example, gesture recognition or voice recognition uh, is at the end of the day shy tech. You don't see a microphone. You don't see all the electronics behind it. But you can activate it when you want it by saying, hey car, do this, or hello Google, or hey Siri, or whatever keywords are there. Um, so you, you activate that. And the same with gesture recognition. Um, if you use the certain gesture sets um, to, to do something in your car or in other environments, um, you, you don't see necessarily see the camera. So the, the technology is shy, it is hidden. And um, you only recognize it uh, when, when you get some feedback. For example, when the car turns the temperature up or the seat heating on or whatever you want to do in, in your car. Other sensors that we are um, using a lot, that we see a lot, particularly in show cars, is sensors under wooden surfaces. So you have a surface that looks totally like a piece of wood. And when you approach it, um, there is an illumination behind the wood showing the icons, what you can do with this. And then you can touch it and then you can you can interact with these systems and then you can pull back your hand and again looks like a straight piece of wood. You can also use this under glass um, and the black panels or dead front ends, uh, is it called in, in design, so that you have a piece of material that is not obviously containing any any interaction devices devices. But it, it does contain them and you can activate them, for example, by approaching them with your hand. Another one shown by BMW at the CES uh, a few years ago, uh, HMIs woven into fabrics. This could be both sensors so that you can touch a piece of fabric um, or even press it. Uh, or that you have uh, illumination lights of different colors woven into it so that you get a reaction of it. Another example of morphing uh, of, of uh, Shytech is the morphing controls of uh, Continental. You have a straight piece of um, a leather surface or a plastic surface, and if you approach it, if you have, uh, if you get your hand close to the to the uh, to the device or close to the surface then devices are popping out so they morph out of to out of a straight surface and um, uh, allow you to control them to do things to press a button or to to shift a lever or what whatever you want to do there all this technology has a clear advantage and this is the visual simplification of HMIs, of car cockpits, of whatever. So it looks super straight. You get into a car and it looks great. You say, hey, this is simplified. This is not overwhelming me. Um, there is not too much technology and too many buttons in this car. It, it looks very simple, very straight, very clean. So that, that is something that uh, particularly designers love a lot to to get back to very clean surfaces and, and cockpits. 
The big disadvantage is you have to have a knowledge about the availability. You need need to have a certain you have to bring a certain knowledge into the interaction situation to achieve an interaction at all. Just to trigger it, if you don't know that behind this piece of wood or glass or leather that there is some some interaction device, you will never know it. Yeah, maybe accidentally, but it doesn't talk to you. So there is no um, initiation of the interaction by the technology. So Shitech is creating distance. Uh, this technology actively withdraws from the user's consciousness. So it withdraws from our visual um, uh, visual sceneries and it's, uh, yeah, it disappears out of our consciousness and makes itself invisible. Big question is, um, best HMI is no HMI, is a phrase I've heard lately. Is uh, this the dream of the digital technology that we have? Or are we causing new problems? Or are we moving problems to a different level? I'm not really sure about this, but I like the idea of a certain amount of shy tech in cars to create a distance, to create um, yeah, a shy tech and a clear, clear surfaces and uh, to create uh, better designs in, in cars. All right, let's summarize this one. In the history of technology, there are many discussions about proximity and distance, about how close technology should be to us. We have um, this uh, yeah, proximity and distance problem until today between humans and, and technology. Some technologies create a closeness. They create... Um, a reduction of distance they they yeah and, and they impose themselves to to the driver and others are creating a distance examples for the first ones i mentioned are biometric measurements in cars around cars with cars and the driver monitoring system we're gonna face and other technologies uh, withdraw like the the shy tech in its various forms If you like this podcast, if you were able to take something with you, why not recommending it to someone else, to one person in your network? The more people uh, listen to, to the podcast, uh, the higher it will be ranked at the various platforms. The more, again, people uh, will see it and um, the more have the chance to take knowledge out of this. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an unknown exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites, beta-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de. Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de Tune in next time, take care and stay healthy.